This is M Black Writes, a podcast for people who love stories, and I'm your host, M Black. This episode is all about foolish moments, stupid things we've done, dumb crap we've said, just mistakes in general that we have made or silly moments that happen because of mishaps. There are only two stories this month. There was going to be a third one. I did have a guest writer lined up to write about a foolish moment, but it didn't end up happening. So there's just two. Going forward from here on season two, there are probably going to be about two stories every episode now because I have been expending a lot of my energy towards working on my novel. I recently made myself a goal that I was going to finish writing my novel within the next year. So that's definitely taking away a lot of my time from writing for the podcast. So you'll probably notice going forward from here that the episodes might be a little bit shorter. But I've been having a really great time working on my novel. I took a break from it for a very, very, very long time. And I put a lot of energy into writing for this podcast and I really didn't work on it. And I've been back to working on it now and I love it. I am planning sometime in the near future to do a bonus episode where I spill all sorts of details about my novel and what's going on there. So if that's something that you're interested in, watch for that episode. Table of Contents. Story number one. In Old Black Cars. An autobiographical story. Special segment, embarrassment bonding. Story number two, MSN mess, a story inspired by true events. Special segment, my most foolish moment. Normally I save my autobiographical stories for the end of the episode, but I decided to put it right at the beginning this time. I really like this story and it's probably just because I was there and it feels so real to me, but I think this is one of my most favorite that I've written for the podcast so far. It has like almost no dialogue in it. It's mostly just descriptions of things, but I really like how it turned out and I hope you do too. In Old Black Cars, an autobiographical story inspired by true events, written by M. Black. Do you ever think about the memories held in a steering wheel? I sometimes do. I think about how much human life they see. An anxious, soon-to-be father grips one as he rushes his contracting wife to the hospital. A toddler sits on his mom's lap and pretends to drive. A couple falls in love on a road trip. 
I think teenagers are the best at making memories behind the wheel, though. They're stupid, sure. Reckless, of course. But they're free in a way that will be lost when they reach adulthood. I guess that's why they call it reckless abandon. Because someday you'll have to leave it all behind. So fill your steering wheel to the brim while you can. Studies say that only 18% of Americans know how to drive a manual vehicle. When I turned 16, I was admitted into the prestigious I Can Drive Stick Club. Only it wasn't as glamorous as it sounds. Mastery of the skill would be years to come. If I ever experienced a true baptism by fire, this was it. There were tears, some yelling, grinding gears, and many instances of temporary paralysis when forced to make a left turn across oncoming traffic. The worst of all, though, was the dreaded killing it. No, I don't mean you're killing it, a common accolade for a job well done. I mean not achieving the perfect ratio of giving her some gas while letting off the clutch, resulting in the car trying to buck you off like it's the meanest bull in the PBR. I'm talking dead engine, no juice. Usually in the middle of a four-way, or if you live in a small town like me, THE four-way. The only one in town with a light. The one where everyone you don't want to see suddenly ends up all at once. And nobody knows the real right-of-way rules, so you just have to use the creep-out-and-pray method when you feel like it's your turn to go. The shame you feel when you have to hastily twist the key into the ignition and start again, knowing everyone is waiting for you and begging for mercy from the universe to allow you to get it right this time is excruciating. There are worse times to kill it, though. Only other stickies, that's what I'm naming members of the club I just decided, can understand the true horror of a steep hill with a stop sign at the top. If you're lucky, you can make it out of there without anybody else pulling up behind you. If you're not, some dill hole will ride your tail so closely you have absolutely no room for error. If you don't know how manual vehicles work, let me explain. Unless you perfectly disengage the clutch at the precise moment that you press the gas pedal with just the right intensity, you'll roll backwards. If you try to gun it to avoid this, you run the risk of killing it. The pressure could squeeze you into a diamond. My ride was an old black car, a 1995 Honda Accord. I was driving before most of my friends, so it became the hangout spot on wheels. They named it Blackie. Not original by any means. Sounds like something a four-year-old would name their first kitten. But it was a term of endearment nonetheless. One of our most favorite activities was a little more cleverly named. Crunk and Cruise. It was a modern spin on what our parents would have called Dragging Mane. The ingredients of a Crunk and Cruise were simple. First, you needed a vehicle and a willing driver. The vehicle must have speakers, but it didn't really matter if they were a little blown like mine were, so long as they were loud. Someone in the group needed to provide a loaded iPod. Lastly, an aux cord, the most crucial element. Instructions for crunking and cruising are as follows. Number one. 
Assemble a group of at least three friends. Two is too awkward for a full crunk and cruise, but okay for simply loudly singing along to music. The ideal number is four, one for each window. Five will inevitably end with someone being mad at someone else. Two, roll all windows in the vehicle down completely. Three, Shotgun Rider is the designated DJ, but can take shouted song suggestions from any member of the group. Selected songs should be hip-hop or rap and include an abundance of bass. Occasionally, Kesha or Katy Perry is permissible. 4. Volume should be at max, always. Exception is if the driver can't see where she is going. Volume will be decreased so she can see better. 5. Expectations for members of the group are to sing along as loudly as they can. Knowledge of the lyrics isn't always necessary and to dance in a hip-hop style using only their upper body. Driver will be limited to use of one arm. If there is predetermined choreography for certain songs, the group will be expected to follow it. 6. Whenever the car reaches the four-way, all actions must be increased. Louder music, louder singing, more vigorous dancing. Yes, we were incredibly annoying. But I've yet to experience anything since that matched the chaotic and exhilarating atmosphere of a well-executed crunk and cruise. Sometimes we upped the ante with things like an air horn, which we would blast at unsuspecting pedestrians. A lot of times we tried to coast from the top of the hill on 300 West all the way to the bottom near the detention center. It was something like 14 blocks. The stop sign at Center Street always ruined it, and we never made the full length that I can recall. I don't think it's possible. But we kept trying anyway. It didn't matter if it wasn't possible. Fun was the objective. It didn't matter that we continually made absolute fools of ourselves. We were living. On one of our more memorable escapades, the night started with all the stars perfectly aligning. There were four friends, a well-charged iPod touch stacked with all of our favorites, and a working aux cord. It was teenage bliss. Until a small furry creature dropped into the picture. It was typical of the group to scrounge for chump change in order to cater our drives. Each person only needed a few bucks to accomplish this. Some of the girls would beg their parents, Others would raid piggy banks. Those of us who had jobs were tight-lipped about how much money we actually had, but would offer up a few dollars. This night we spared no expense. Blackie was loaded down with quadruplet 40-ounce fountain Pepsis. Condensation formed on the outside of the girthy electric blue paper cups before we even made it out of the gas station. Our first dilemma was realized when we made it back to the car and discovered that there wasn't a single cup holder that could house the gargantuan drinks. The shotgun rider took over responsibility of two of the cups, setting and holding them in place on top of the two small cup holders up front. One of the girls in the back set the other two on top of the center console and gripped one in each hand. This system was working fine and our spirits were up as high as the music. I navigated to one of our more frequently used routes, Reservoir Road. As always, we turned around at the end of the line, the outhouse at the fourth reservoir, and made our journey back the way we had come. 
It was dark, the car was fast, the road was twisted, and the singing was off-key. Then it was there, a sudden apparition, a puff of white and black, a skunk. My usual response to animals who hope to be roadkill is to let off the gas, grip the wheel, grit my teeth, and hope they are fast. Prairie dogs and rabbits aren't worth a rollover. Skunks, though, are another story. You hit a skunk and that smell is going to follow you around for weeks. Still, I would not swerve. Blackie wouldn't end up in a ditch that night. My foot crushed the brake pedal. Everything in the car lurched. Some things flew. Among the flyers were all four drinks. We'd barely had time to sip on them, so they were at capacity. That damn skunk set 160 ounces of brown, sugary liquid loose in my car. In hindsight, the extra-large, unrestrained beverages were a bad idea, but not the worst or most dangerous choice we ever made. That one involved a touch of pyromania. I'll tell you about it later. My best friend Morgan drove an old black car, too, even older than mine, a 93. While mine was a compact car, hers was an SUV, a Nissan Pathfinder. The Pathfinder was roomier and had a bump and sound system, but you couldn't wear flip-flops in the front seat because it had hot floorboards. You needed sturdier, less meltable shoes. Morgan was the person that I spent the most time driving around with, whether in my car or hers. So naturally, Morgan was the person I experienced the most mishaps with, too. The driveway at her house was a narrow strip of gravel on a hill. Getting in was no problem. Getting out was trickier. It seemed like there were always at least three other vehicles there at all times, so you had to work around them. Sometimes we found ourselves just sitting in the driveway, lost in conversation or too lazy to go in. One day we must have been talking about something utterly fascinating because neither of us noticed that a very nice Ford Expedition had been parked directly behind my Honda. It belonged to Morgan's mom and it was her prized possession. When we decided to leave, I shifted the car into reverse and began rolling slowly backward. Before I had turned to look over my shoulder, and to the horror of both of us, the Honda lightly plinked against the grill of the expedition. We shared a half second of startled, eye-bulging terror before I tossed the car into first and accelerated back into original position. It was mere seconds before a head leaned over the porch railing above us. What was that? I shot Morgan a please cover for me expression. Nothing, she shouted up to her mother. Somehow, miraculously, that was the end of that. Upon much later inspection, when we felt it was safe to do so, it was determined that neither vehicle had sustained any damage. The Honda was lucky. The Pathfinder, unfortunately, got munched during a separate incident. This one also involved fountain drinks. The best place in town to get a Pepsi was CB's C-Store. I think it was something to do with their syrup to carbonation ratio. They had the secret formula that nobody else did. Two foam cups sat in the cup holders, arguing for space. Morgan used her thumb to choose a song on the iPod before handing it over to me. The Pathfinder rumbled against the base of an Eminem song. We were parked next to pump number one. To the right was the pump. Next to the pump was a large cement block, painted bright red. 
Red, especially more audacious shades like that one, can represent a lot of different things. Stop. No. Danger. Anger. The passenger side door crumpled against the cement block as we turned too sharply out of the stall. Everything was red, just like mom's spaghetti. Red like the stoplight that I once ran. Remember the four-way I talked about earlier? It was equipped with one blinking red light that hung in the middle. This was very confusing for tourists who often sat waiting for it to turn green. It had the opposite effect on me. Of course I knew how a real stoplight worked. Green means go, red means stop, and yellow means slow down or speed up depending on what kind of driver you are. I guess I just assumed that all small towns were like mine. If there was a light on Main Street, it was just the blinky red kind that meant it's your turn when you feel like it. So one night when a group of us cruised all the way over to the neighboring small town, I applied this method at their main intersection. Except their light was a real stoplight and I turned right across oncoming traffic. A very angry woman wearing a wife beater and a low ponytail let me know of my wrongdoing with an aggressive honk. The car erupted in a fit of laughter. That one was all on me, but sometimes it was a mass of collective stupidity. The night with the fire, for example. It takes next level carelessness to light water on fire, but somehow we managed it. Somewhere out there, probably at the bottom of a dusty plastic tote in a storage room, on someone's brick phone with a slide-out QWERTY keyboard. There is video evidence of this event, but I can picture it well enough without. Besides driving around, the second most frequent form of entertainment was a good bonfire. Usually these were co-ed, but we coined the term girl fire and started hosting no boys allowed events. Every girl fire was memorable. There was the paint fire for which we each stole as many small bottles of toll paint from our houses as we could to use as ammunition in a paint war. Then there was the fire where we found ourselves scattering into the trees to hide from an angry dad. His daughter eventually surrendered and crept out of the darkness but the rest of us remained concealed until we were sure they were gone, and we emerged from all corners howling with laughter, relieved it wasn't us. The most unforgettable girl fire was the most disastrous. A big red gas can and that collective stupidity I was talking about are the main characters of this story. Red, again, a warning. In the nature of fire, it happened quick. Someone tried to pour on some gas and a flame jumped up the spout. You can imagine what happened next. A blazing gas can. Screams that were somehow in unison, but also frenzied and disconnected. Red turned to brown, then black as the plastic melted. We happened to be mere feet away from the edge of a reservoir. In a panic, someone seized hold of the still intact handle and shot-putted the ball of hot terror into the water. It was a valiant act of courage, even if it was misguided. Oil and water don't mix. What was left of the gasoline in the disfigured can slithered far and wide across the reservoir's surface, taking the inferno with it. 
The limbs of a cedar tree overhead erupted. More screams. The Honda was parked directly under the tree of fire. I flew into the driver's seat and peeled out over the gravel in reverse. The rear end of the undercarriage crunched against a large rock in the process. After parking in a safe, faraway space, I sprinted back to the scene of the crime and took in what a pitiful, ridiculous sight it was. Everyone was filling cupped hands with clear water and tossing it at angry orange branches. I joined in the fight. The odds were heavily stacked against us, but we put out the tree fire with sheer force of will and determination. Then we sat on the shore and waited for the water fire to resolve itself, which it did. Earlier, when I said to fill your steering wheel with memories, this isn't the kind I was meaning. Learn from us and be smarter and safer. Do fill them with friendship, though. Fill them with decades-long bonds. Fill them with the type of people who feel like family even when they aren't. Fill them with love. This is a short, sweet, and happy segment called Embarrassment Bonding. As much as it sucks to do weird or stupid things in front of other people, I'd like to argue that in some cases, it can make your relationship with somebody stronger. I actually have a 10 plus year friendship with somebody that was basically born out of an awkward moment. I'll tell you the story and I'm going to try to do my best to get all of the details right. So my friend is a very sweet, thoughtful, kind-hearted person. And this whole thing stems from her doing something so sweet for me. And, and the memory's a little bit hazy now. So I can't remember if she gave me a gift, if she gave me a note, or if she just came up to talk to me and tell me nice things. But it's one of those three things. But other than that, the memory is pretty clear. So if you went to the same high school as I did, imagine the wheelchair ramp right when you come into the front of the school. So that's kind of where we were standing. We were standing near the top of the wheelchair ramp. So on one side, there's a wheelchair ramp. On the other side, there are stairs. So she comes up to me and mind you, we were not very close at this point in time, but she comes up to me and just is saying all these sweet, nice things to me, either gives me a gift or a note. I can't remember, but it was very, very sweet. I am an incredibly awkward person. So I receiving things like that, I'm super weird about. Anyway, but I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so nice. Thank you. And then it's it's time to part ways, you know, like, so we say, okay, bye. See you later. And then this is the part where it starts to get awkward. One of us walks down the wheelchair ramp. The other one walks down the stairs, but we're walking in the same direction. So we just did this whole like, goodbye, see you later. And then we just start walking in the same direction and we're both just kind of like in our peripheral vision like looking at each other not looking at each other and then we just bust out laughing and I honestly believe that that moment just cemented our bond and we have been friends ever since 
Now, as far as relationships go, I think the way that you respond to somebody doing something stupid in front of you can make or break your relationship. If you respond the wrong way and they take it as you mocking them or belittling them or putting them down, they're probably just going to hate you and not want to be around you. But if you respond the right way and make them feel safe and loved, then it is just going to make them fall even more in love with you, whether it's a friendship type of love or a love love type of love. I had a moment like this happen just a few months after I got married to Hayden. (laughs) I, you know, I'm brand new to being a wife trying to be the best wife ever. We lived in this teeny tiny little one bedroom apartment in this small town in Arizona where we didn't really know anybody and we had no friends. And he had this job where he was gone for like 12 hours a day and I had nothing. I wasn't going to school. I didn't have a job. I was trying to find a job, but it was a small town and the pickings were slim So I spent a lot of time alone and a lot of time just doing household things like cleaning and grocery shopping and cooking and all of that. But I mean, when you only have two people who live in a teeny tiny apartment and one of them is almost never there, you you run out of things to do pretty quickly. Anyway, one day I decided I was going to make a lasagna and I find this recipe for lasagna online and it calls for some type of lasagna noodle that you don't have to cook beforehand and anyway long story short I bought not the right kind of noodles I bought the type of noodles that you indeed do need to put in the water and cook before you build the entire lasagna and I don't know about you guys, but if if you've ever built a lasagna, lasagna is like kind of a pain in the butt to make. Like I don't I don't find it an easy meal to make. I think it's kind of a pain. Um so I I build, I construct this entire lasagna, I put it in the oven, my husband gets home from work. I think I am just like a domestic, amazing woman. And we pull it out of the oven (laughs) and I go to try to do like the first, you know, like cut a piece out with the spatula and it crunches against the noodles, the layers of noodles that are inside this lasagna uncooked. And I lost it. I was like so embarrassed, so frustrated that I had wasted so much time on it and I was just distraught. And my sweet, sweet husband was so nice about it and he took the lasagna pan and he sat and he like pulled out all of the crunchy noodles out of lasagna and then he cooked just some like elbow macaroni noodles that we had in our pantry. He cooked those and he mixed everything all together and like constructed this new like macaroni lasagna thing. And it was very sweet and it made me love him even more.
So moral of the story is embarrassing, foolish moments aren't always a bad thing. Before I talk about the next story, the person who submitted this actually submitted two things and I want to do an honorable mention for her other story. So her other story was about how she used to be in a gymnastics class and every time she... <laughs> I can't even get through it without laughing. Every time she would do a cartwheel, she would fart. <laughs> And there was this mean girl named Josie who would always make fun of her. And I just wanted to include that as an honorable mention for this episode. The story that I chose to write, though, is about something that gives me super nostalgia. Not regular nostalgia. Super deeply ingrained nostalgia. If you are a person who, as a kid ever used MSN, Instant Messenger, or Yahoo, or any messaging platform, AOL, whatever, you know that feeling. You get home from school. It's the first thing you want to do. You are desperate to log in and talk to somebody. Or if you're like me, who for periods of my adolescence did not have internet at my house, when you went over to your friends' houses, you were like begging and pleading for them to get on MSN with you. For those of you who didn't have this experience, I don't, I really don't know how to properly describe the feeling to you. It's a feeling that I don't think I will ever feel again in my lifetime. I think it hit somewhere between desperation and thrill. That was the feeling somewhere in the middle of those two things. Now I'm going to sidestep a little bit and tell you a personal story that kind of relates to this one, slightly. Not it's very loosely connects. Back in the original, original days of Facebook, it was very, very different. There was an app within Facebook called Hot or Not. And basically, it was the original Tinder, except for any age goes, because I was on there as a teenager and there were adults on there, too, which is obviously very terrifying. And this story goes downhill really fast. So the premise of Hot or Not, like I said, it was a lot like Tinder, if I'm remembering right, except for I think instead of swiping, it was maybe like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So somebody's picture would pop up and you would just thumbs up for hot or thumbs down for not. And anybody that you matched with, I think you were then like connected to and you could chat with them. Anyway, to make a long story short, I was talking to a man from South Africa super, super, super dumb and scary. And there is a segment at the end of this episode called My Most Foolish Moment. And this is probably what I should have used, but I didn't remember it until about five minutes ago when I started recording this. And I record things out of order. So even though you guys haven't heard that segment yet, I recorded it two days ago. Anyway, so I'm chatting from this man from South Africa, and he's super nice. And I think it's funny that when he spells cuz, he spells it C-O-S instead of C-U-Z, like I spell it. 
inevitably, obviously, my parents found out and I was in big trouble, especially because I was not supposed to have Facebook at all and I had created a secret account. So I was smart. And that happened in 2000 and something on my desktop computer. Obviously, technology has advanced much, much further since then. So please watch your kids and what they're doing online. But back to the story at hand. This story is about MSN. And obviously, if you have a bunch of kids just chatting together online, not awesome things are bound to happen. And that is the premise of this story. MSN Mess, a story inspired by true events, written by M. Black. My keychain collection rattled from the bottom of my backpack as I shut the front door behind me and kicked off my tennis shoes. I made my way to the kitchen to rummage for an after-school snack. The fridge greeted me with a message held up by a magnet with the local real estate agent's face on it. Homework and chores before getting on the computer. I'll be home at five. Love you, mom. I crumpled the decorative stationery and imitated an NBA player as I sunk it into the trash can across the room. Five minutes later, I dropped into a rolling office chair while I swallowed the last bite of a PB&J. I shook the mouse awake across its pad and the computer screen sprang to life too. Mom didn't bother with a password anymore because through trial and error I cracked the code every time. She really needed to stop using people's birthdays. A few clicks led me to the MSN Instant Messenger login page. I typed my email, artistbabe27 at hotmail.com, and password, Jesse McCartney is hot, with efficient precision. I could type the most words per minute in my keyboarding class. Nobody was online. My screen name, Annie, with every other letter capitalized, followed by seven dots and I heart art, looked lonely. But there was always Smarter Child, the artificial intelligent bot, or whatever he was. I opened up a chat. Me. Yo, Smarter Child, what up? Smarter Child. Hi once again. Me. How much do you like dogs? Smarter child. How much do I like dogs? Me. Do you like dogs? Smarter child. Yes, I do. Talking about dogs is a lot of fun, but let's move on now. I leaned back in the chair and tapped a partially stale Twizzler against the desk, thinking. A sly smile spread across my face and I returned to the keyboard. Me, do you have a big hairy butt? Smarter child, enough of this nonsense. Me, you don't want to answer because it's true. Smarter child, what? Me, you are stupid. Smarter child, I don't like the words you are using. They are awful. I rolled my eyes and clicked out of the chat, then meandered back to the fridge. While digging for a can of Sprite, I heard the familiar chime meaning one of my contacts had logged on. Cue the mad dash back to the computer. Please be him, please be him, please be him. 
It was Carly. Everything about me sagged. My face, my shoulders, my mood. Carly was one of those people that you had to remain friends with. If you brushed her off, you might as well seal your death certificate. It wasn't enough for her to manipulate everyone into ignoring you. She turned you into a target. Staying on her good side was imperative, whether I liked it or not. Still, it didn't mean I had to initiate a conversation. Maybe she would leave me alone. Fat chance. Carly cutie underscore underscore asterisk too little too late asterisk underscore underscore was in my face within seconds. Carly. LOL, I can't believe we're the only people on here. Me. I know, right? Carly. I'm like so bored. Me. Same. A minute or so went by before Carly replied. Carly, want to do a quiz? Me, what kind of a quiz? Carly, it's an anonymous quiz that tells you who you're going to marry. Me, ew, dot dot dot, how? Carly, you put in your top four crushes and then it tells you which one you'll marry. Me, okay, ha ha. Carly, here's the link, G to G, TTYL. The link led me to a hot pink screen with chunky white block letters at the top in all caps. CRUSH CALCULATOR. Four slim rectangles indicated where I should input the names. For me, there was always a clear number one. Sam Sorensen. Obviously, I wanted the answer to be him. This wasn't just your regular old game of mash. It felt more accurate. When the internal struggle over who the other three names would be became too much, I consulted my diary. At the beginning of sixth grade, I ranked all the boys in my grade by personal interest. If I went by that list, the names would be Sam Sorensen, Gabriel Thompson, Flynn Parker, and Dustin Markle. But I didn't go by that list. Instead, I cheated the system. My fingers crept across the keys in trepidation. Sam Sorensen, Sam Sorensen, Sam Sorensen, Sam Sorensen. Submit. Nothing happened. On the screen, a yellow smiley face winked at me over and over, but no answer came. Carly's stupid quiz doesn't even work. The clock said 4.30. I put the computer to sleep, rushed through my chores, and tossed my already completed homework that I had done in study hall on the dining table. When mom got home, I sat reading The Westing Game. She planted a kiss on my forehead as she passed. I grimaced and wiped it away. Can I get on MSN now? Looking around, she appeared satisfied. Sure, but when dinner is done, so are you. I nodded and smiled, feigning innocence. My heart skipped a beat when I logged in again. Sam was online. Resting my chin in my left palm as I let out a sigh, I gazed admiringly at his screen name. Baseball Sam number 43. Dollar sign, dollar sign. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Dash Wayne Gretzky. Dollar sign, dollar sign. A message appeared. Sam. Sup, artsy fartsy. Me. Oh my gosh, shut up. LOL. Sam, what you doing? Me, waiting for dinner. Sam, yeah, me too. Me, cool. Sam, 
so dot 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 me so dot 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 sam what's your favorite song me london bridge fergie how about you sam ms new booty bubba sparks me oh yeah i love that one too i have it on my now 22 cd sam my dinner is done g to g i blew a raspberry Sam was never online for more than five minutes at a time. Another message chimed. Carly. Ha <laughs> ha, I got you. Me. What do you mean? Carly. I punked you with that quiz. Me. It didn't even work. Carly. It sent the answers to me. I can't believe you just put Sam's name in all four boxes. Desperate much? Me. What? You suck, Carly. Carly, I can't wait to tell him. Me, please don't. Carly logged off without saying anything else. I shot out of the chair and flung myself on the couch across the room, punching throw pillows with as much might as I could muster. After composing myself with a manic kind of calm, I returned to the keyboard and opened a chat with Sam. I needed to get ahead of this. He wasn't online, but he would see it the next time he logged on. Me. I like you. Period. Send. This is a special segment I'm calling My Most Foolish Moment. When I sat down and started to think about times that I had made a fool of myself, which there was a sea of hundreds to think through. There's one that stood out the most for me that to this day still makes me cringe, but I didn't think that I could write it into a story because I thought if I sat down and started writing, I would give away too many details and I really strongly want to keep the person that this story happened with completely, absolutely anonymous. So I chose to not write it, and I'm just going to tell it to you instead. Okay, let's get into it. So there was a certain individual who, for a lot of years of my life, spent a lot of time trying to contact me over text message. And this started happening around the time that I started dating my now husband, Hayden, which is when I was 17 years old and continued like the culmination of the story, the most embarrassing part where I make a fool of myself, continued until just a few months before getting engaged to my husband, which uh, we got married when we were 21. So this, this spans years. So this person would text me a lot and sometimes express interest in me. And there were several occasions over the course of all these years where it had been going on for months where this person was texting me hours a day, every day, and I would finally get to the point where I would be like, I need you to please, please leave me alone. Like, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't want to be talking to you all day long. So like, please just give it a rest. Like, leave me alone. And I've got to be honest that there were times where I was 
um, kind of ruthless to this person. Like, I really don't think that there's another person who I've interacted with in my life that I have been as mean to as I have to this person. At the point in time that the most embarrassing part happens, I was living in my cousin's house. My cousin bought a house and I rented a room from him. So it was me and my cousin living in this house. And one day my cousin knocks on my bedroom door and he's like, hey, somebody's here to see you, which I, I'm always shocked by unannounced visitors. Like <laughs> there's nothing I hate more than someone coming to my house when I don't know that they're coming. So I, I go out to see who it is and I'm just absolutely blown away, flabbergasted. Standing at the door is the mother of this person who was texting me all the time. So I was just incredibly confused as to why she would be at my house. She brought me a treat, which was very nice of her, but with the treat, she slips me, if my memory is serving me right, a like three by five index card with this person's contact information. Then she proceeds to tell me that this person has been asking about me and wondering about me and would like to talk to me. The whole thing was so awkward, so odd. I was very nice to her, very cordial to her, just kind of like sent her on her way with a like, okay, thanks for the treat. Bye. And then as soon as the door shut, instant rage. I was fuming. So like any sane and rational person, I immediately <laughs> took that stupid index card and I went to my room and I started drafting a message. The message to end all messages. I absolutely ripped this person to shreds. And then I sent it. And it took a while to get a response. And the response was one that was very confused. And this person claimed to have no idea that the mother would be coming to my house to give me the contact information. And I, part of me, okay, the embarrassed part of me believed it immediately, wanted to throw up that I sent such an angry message to someone who I hadn't spoken to in years. But then the other part of me, the very distrusting part of me, which I still kind of feel this way to this day, was that it was just a lie to save face. So I don't know, but I feel uncomfy thinking about it. And if it was true, if this mom just took it upon herself to show up to my house and give me a little treat, um, then, it's, then it is so wildly embarrassing for me. Complete and utter fool-making moment for myself. 
And so, yeah, that's my number one. Next month in May, because it is Mother's Day, I am doing a mom-themed episode. I know a lot of you that listen are moms, so I know you have some great stories. Be thinking of any mom-related type stories. It can be something your kid did. It can be something you did. It can even be something your own mom did. It just has to be relating to moms somehow. I'll be taking all types of submissions as long as there's a mom in it somewhere. I really appreciate those of you who take the time to submit. It's probably one of the most helpful things that you can do for me for this podcast. You can send me a direct message on Instagram to submit, and I will also be putting up one or two question boxes in my Instagram story that you can answer and submit there too. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next month. Bye!